Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. This is episode number six. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Charcoal Book Club, the world's first photo book of the month club. We'll have a special offer for you on a subscription with Charcoal Book Club later in the show. Jeff, I have a question for you. Do you shoot RAW or JPEG or both? I usually shoot in RAW, although occasionally I will shoot in RAW plus JPEG. And how about you? Because uh, this seems like a, a big topic. It is. I shoot in RAW and JPEG. I'm a belt and suspenders guy, so like I back up my backups. <laughs> and I think it's safer to have two copies of a photo, even though they're not exactly the same. I've always found that you never know what's going to go wrong. Sometimes files can disappear and get messed up. And, you know, this does offer a certain amount of protection. The thing is, when I moved over to Fujifilm cameras, the JPEGs that these cameras make are so good that I don't often use the RAW files anymore. Well, that's an interesting approach. As you can tell already, the whole issue of RAW versus JPEG is kind of a thorny one. The reason that we brought this up is A, because it's sort of a, a, a perennial holy war in photography, which is, you know, do people shoot RAW? Do you shoot JPEG? Which is the right one? And more often than not, I think what we run into is this idea that one is correct or one is wrong. If you shoot in RAW, you're a pro. And if you shoot in JPEG, you're a noob. That's the way some people act. Yes, exactly. And we're definitely trying to, to get past that whole, uh, you know, photo stereotype issue and cut through a lot of the BS that's surrounding this. So you shoot in RAW. Let's take a step back and explain what exactly is RAW. Not all cameras will shoot in it, correct? Most cameras these days can shoot in RAW. The iPhone is a bit of an exception. It supports RAW, but its native photo app won't shoot in RAW. So you need to use a third-party app. I use Halide. What do you use when you want to shoot with your iPhone? I either use uh, Halide or the uh, Lightroom app that has a camera built in. There'll be links in the show notes for that. So here's what RAW is. I'm going to try to not get too technical. Your camera has a sensor. It detects the light that comes in. It has a, a certain number of filters to filter out light of different colors to make the different colored pixels that are on the sensor, red, blue, and green. And the raw file is exactly what the sensor has gotten from the light through the lens when you've taken a picture. There is no processing applied to it. It is the raw data, and that's where the idea comes from, I think. On the other hand, JPEG is a file that has gone through a processing algorithm. Not only is it a smaller file, because it doesn't need to have all that data that's in the raw file, but it is a file that has taken into account a certain look that the camera manufacturer has decided it wants to apply to the photographs. The basic JPEG mode on certain cameras may have more or less contrast. They may be more or less saturated. They may have a focus on shadows or highlights. But every camera makes its default JPEGs differently. Whereas the RAW file, if you were to convert a RAW file from three different cameras into uh, the same format, you would see that the data is exactly the same. One little footnote, there are some cameras with a different type of sensor, and particularly Fujifilm, where it's not exactly the same. And I also want to point out at this point that if your camera does not shoot in RAW, that's fine. The JPEG algorithm is designed to reproduce images based on how we see things. And so 
um, especially nowadays, um, that processing is almost always very, very good. So if you have like a point and shoot or maybe a super zoom that doesn't shoot in raw, don't feel like you are missing out. There are some circumstances where raw will be an advantage, but you know, for 99% of what you're shooting, you're going to get good results. One of the biggest differences between raw and JPEG is the file size. Now I've compared a number of raw files from different camera manufacturers. And it's interesting when you look at the file size with a camera of say 20 to 24 megapixels, we're not full frame, but we're the kind of cameras that we're using. Your, your JPEGs are generally about eight to 13 or 15 megabytes. I have 24 megapixels on my two Fujis and they're about 13 or 15. If you're a 16 megapixel camera, it's probably closer to eight or 10. And of course, this depends on the picture. It depends on, on how much dynamic range there is, how much color, etc. JPEGs will have a different size according to what is in the picture. Uh, but RAW files are much larger. So taking my Fuji cameras as an example, the RAW files are about 50 megabytes. This is compared to 13 or 15 megabytes for the JPEGs. The Olympus camera that I had until early this year was a PEN-F. It was a 20 megapixel and its RAW files were only 18 megabytes. So it's one fifth smaller than the Fuji, but the RAW files are more than half smaller than the Fuji RAW files. Now, there are some interesting reasons for this. And after I've gone through my list, I'll explain what they are. I looked at a Panasonic RAW file, a 20 megapixel Panasonic, and it comes out to 24 megabytes. The Leica M Monochrome, the camera that I lust after, it's a 24 megapixel and it's 36 megabytes. And the iPhone is a 12 megapixel and it's about 10 megabytes. Now, the reason for these different sizes is twofold. The Olympus does some sort of compression on the RAW file. You can have uncompressed RAW files and you can have compressed RAW files. For example, with our Fujifilm cameras, you can turn on a setting in the camera to compress the RAW files to save space on your SD card. And is that a difference that you can see or is that purely just how the camera is, is working with that data? It's a lossless compression, so you won't notice anything different. The problem with Fuji's compressed RAW files is that macOS does not support them. So you can't add them to photos and you can't view them in the finder with Quick Look. So you'd have to convert them to something else and that's a real headache. So while you do save space, it's, it's a, a, a big step in your workflow if you're shooting a lot of photos. And it's not just Fuji that has that. Uh, many uh, manufacturers have the compressed, the compressed versions. Well, Olympus's RAW files are always compressed a little bit, yet they are supported on macOS. So that's why the 20 megapixel Olympus file that I looked at is 18 megabytes compared to the Panasonic, which is 24. The Panasonic is not compressed, and Olympus doesn't give you a choice of compression. It's just part of their raw algorithm. This is also a good time to point out, you know how every few months you'll get a, a raw system update? And the way raw files work is because they're just pure raw data, there has to be something that can interpret that. And that includes even at the system level under Mac OS. So occasionally a new camera will come out and the Mac won't be able to read or do anything with the files until Apple has updated their raw profiles just to be able to even you know, load it or, or view it at all. And here's a good example. I've been very interested in the new Panasonic TZ200. It's got a 24 to 360 millimeter zoom and it's a compact camera. But macOS does not support its raw files. 
However, macOS supports other Panasonic RAW files with the same extension, RW2. So it's not just the file extension that determines whether it's supported, it's the actual version of the RAW file. And unfortunately, camera manufacturers, and I do not know why they do this, but they basically tweak the RAW file for every single model. So even if you have a Fuji camera that you can read the RAW files from, if you buy another one, those might not be supported or they might not be supported in the same way, which is really frustrating sometimes. And even if it's the exact same sensor between the two cameras, there's something in it that makes it different. And they have to give that information to the software manufacturers, to, to companies like Apple, in order for them to be supported. And I believe that Adobe just released the updates for Lightroom for this particular Panasonic camera, which has been out for a few months. There's one more thing to point out about the Fuji RAW files compared to others. This starts getting a little bit rabbit hole technical, but they are 14-bit files, whereas the Olympus and the Panasonic and even the Leica are 12-bit files. Now, this is what we call bit depth, and this is what affects the dynamic range. This is the number of levels of light that are in a single pixel. So 14 bits is going to give you more light, the equivalent of about two stops of light, but it's a much larger file size. I'll have a link in the show notes to a file that explains bit depth and dynamic range in RAW files. You may have a camera that allows you to choose whether your RAW files are 12-bit or 14-bit. There are a number of cameras that allow that. Most of what I've seen suggests that you don't really need the extra two bits. And those extra two bits aren't just two bits. It's a lot of data that's stored, which in most cases is just empty data. It's just white because the extra bits are at the high end of the dynamic range, so the highlights as opposed to the shadows. But if you don't have the two bits, how will you get the shave and the haircut? Exactly. Boom. So what's the point of having all that data? I mean, obviously, more would seem to be better, right? Granted, we have to deal with file sizes. But what advantage are you getting by shooting all that data? Well, more is better because you have more options to recover something that's not exposed well. A JPEG is only 8 bits. Now, remember I said that the, the 12 and the 14 bits is dynamic range. That's the amount of space you have between the darkest and the lightest pixels. The more you have, the more options you have to bring up the shadows, bring down the highlights, etc. So in your JPEG, not only are the files smaller, but you can't really recover if things aren't ideal. And they particularly don't give you as good results when you're taking multiple exposures and combining them to make an HDR photo. That's one place where RAW is really good. You get the really dark shadows and the really light highlights and combine a few photos and they they blend together a lot better because there's more headroom. A great example of how RAW can help that I'm sure everybody has run into is if you're looking at a scene where you have a bright sky and a dark foreground, you have somebody who's standing against a bright background of some sort. The camera will do its best to expose, but if there's a, a large variance between that, that bright and dark area, then the foreground will just be in shadow. So when you bring that then into photos or Lightroom, because all of that extra image data is there in that dark area, you can bring that up, bring up the shadows, bring up the highlights uh, down in that section without completely blowing out your background. Okay, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about JPEGs, because everything we've said here suggests that RAW is better, but in many cases, JPEG is a lot better. Charcoal Book Club is the world's first photo book of the month club. I've been a member for a few months, and I really like the way it's exposing me to photographers I didn't know. 
Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected photographers and publishers in the industry to send hand-picked books to your door. The club offers free shipping to the U.S., U.K., and Canada. Members also get exclusive perks like signed copies, access to rare titles, members-only pricing in the store, and more. Use the code PHOTOACTIVE when you join Charcoal Book Club and get 10% off your membership. Whether you're a professional artist with a stocked library or a novice just beginning to build a collection, Charcoal Book Club is an easy and affordable way to stay up to date on the most essential work in contemporary photography. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com and use the code PHOTOACTIVE to save 10% on your membership. So, we've been talking about how great it is to shoot raw files. The thing is, it's pretty good to shoot JPEGs as well. If I look at the two cameras that are sitting on my desk, these two Fujifilm cameras, these are computers with cylinders that have glass in them that let light come into them. And, and I stress the idea of computers because this isn't like in the film days when what really mattered was the lens and not so much the body, but the body here has a processor and it allows you to do all sorts of things in the camera to make the photos the way you want. Pretty much every camera lets you choose different ways of shooting JPEGs. Extra saturation, extra contrast, you can adjust the highlights and the shadows. But Fujifilm is really interesting to me because they have what they call film simulations. You can consider these like filters or presets, and they're designed to match the film stock that Fujifilm made, the analog film stock. And this is the processor in the computer that is doing all this. So if you bought this really expensive camera, why would you not take advantage of some of these features to make the JPEGs that can come out really good? For me, shooting raw gives me the ability to do more editing after the fact. And part of that has to do with the type of photos that I tend to make. I shoot more landscape photos where the raw format benefits from having that wider dynamic range to play with. And I think, honestly, I do it partially out of laziness because I don't always want to be thinking like, okay, which format am I in? Which am I shooting raw? Do I need to be shooting JPEG? Because, you know, honestly, I have lots of hard drive storage. I have lots of camera storage. I'm fortunate enough, sorry, Kirk, that I have good bandwidth so that <laughs> the images go go up and down um, pretty easily to the cloud services. Um, one of the things about uh, JPEG compression is that it was really designed when there wasn't a lot of storage. And that, that's why we have JPEGs that end up as small files, which is great. But I don't feel that that's a limitation anymore. However, when it comes to the different Fuji JPEG film simulations, that's an area where I would switch to a different mode that we alluded to briefly in our black and white episode, which is RAW plus JPEG. Right. That lets you to shoot a picture in RAW, have the camera generate the JPEG. Then when you get home, you can look at the JPEG and you can say, does this look good using this film simulation or should I trash this and just work on the RAW file? And it also gives you the option of having some sort of a backup. So one of the reasons that I don't automatically shoot in JPEG is that what the camera gives you is what you end up with because the camera is actually throwing away data when it creates the JPEG to make that small file. So when you bring that into Photos or Lightroom, you still have a lot of data to work with, but you don't have as much. Well, my Fuji JPEGs are about 13 to 15 megabytes. Now, if you look at the 50 megabyte RAW files 
and you consider that at least half of that is is garbage. It's it's extra data at the high end that's not really used. You're not really losing that much. It, it's it's similar to when you compress a music file from a CD down to let's say an AAC file at the highest bit rate, 320. You won't hear the difference. You won't see the difference in the JPEG that much. Although again, it is applying a filter, a profile, a film simulation. But I don't think there's that much data that's really lost. I think for some uses, that data becomes more valuable. Again, like like pulling lots of details out of a a, a uh, landscape. However, there are a lot of situations where you just don't need that data, and in fact. JPEG is better just from a, a, a pure uh, speed and size perspective. When we did our episode on cloud storage, I pointed out that my upstream bandwidth is very low, so I don't import my photos directly into Apple's Photos app. I import them into a folder. And I'll look at the photos, I'll quick look the JPEG, and I'll see if I like it. And if I don't like the photo, I'll just move to the next one. And then when I find a JPEG I like, I'll also quick look the raw file to see how different it is. When you do that on a Mac, the Mac is actually applying a certain amount of, of interpretation to that raw file. So here's something interesting to know about raw files. If you use Lightroom, if you use something like Luminar Affinity Photo, you have to develop the raw files. You can't start working on them right away. You have to process them. And what these apps do is they convert them to TIFF format, which is an uncompressed format, and then you can do all your editing. Apple's Photos app doesn't do this. It just does it automatically. There is no development step. And I hate that word develop because you're not developing the pictures, you're converting them. But Apple Photos immediately displays them and the Finder immediately displays them in Quick Look. So you can see what Apple Photos thinks it's going to look like. And, and if I switch back and forth, use the arrow keys, up arrow, down arrow, JPEG, RAW, I can see the difference. I can see that there's more contrast in the JPEG and there's less in the RAW file but there's more dynamic range in the raw file and less in the JPEG. Generally what I do is if the JPEG's good enough, that's what I use. I put that into the Photos app. If I'm not entirely pleased, I'll take the raw file in. And if I'm not sure, I'll import both and I'll switch. So here's a really cool way that Photos, Apple Photos works with raw and JPEG files. If they have the same number, like DSC1007, one is .jpeg and one is .whatever the extension is for your raw file. Apple Photos shows them as a single file. When you go into edit mode, you can right-click on that file and you can choose to edit the raw file. It uses the JPEG by default. I'll have a link in the show notes to an article on my website explaining how this works. When you've got the two, the main photos interface has a little icon on it that either has J or R showing which file you're seeing. So you can actually switch from one to the other if you've got both in the Photos app. I know Lightroom does this totally differently, right? Yeah, exactly. So in, in Lightroom Classic, it will show both of them as one image. But in Lightroom CC, the newer one, for whatever reason, it just treats them as two separate files. And so when you import them, you have the JPEG and you have the RAW, and there's actually no obvious way to tell which is which which is frustrating as all heck. Interestingly, the way Apple does it is if you've got a pair, RAW and JPEG, and you apply some edits to one of the files, when you switch to the other one, those same edits are applied to the other file. So let's say you've edited the RAW file and then you switch to the JPEG, you'll see how the JPEG looks with the same edits. Let's say you've changed the lighting, you've changed the contrast. And this I find is a really interesting way to switch back and forth to see how your edits are going to work with a given file. Going back to the camera, this also points to a good reason to try to 
shoot everything in the camera as best as you can and not necessarily relying on the raw file later. Because I will admit there are many times when I will shoot something and I will know that it's underexposed or I will know what I can do with the raw file later. And so, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, imposing constraints for creative ends. And one of the great ways to do that is to just shoot in JPEG and not think about how you can fix it later, but get it correct in the camera. So some other advantages to JPEG are, as we've said, the file sizes are smaller, and that means if you want to shoot in burst mode, you can shoot more frames more quickly. A great example of that are sports photographers. You see professional photographers with their you know massively expensive lenses. A lot of them are just shooting JPEG because what they need to do is they need to fire off as many shots as possible to catch the action. And so they, they will do that just shooting in JPEG. They may also need to get these photos uploaded to someone very quickly, let's say a newspaper, magazine, or whatever. And the smaller file size and having to do less processing makes this much easier. One of the, the limitations you'll find if you do shoot in burst mode a lot is that these cameras will often shoot a lot of images in quick succession, but they all go into a buffer so that they can be processed and saved to the card. If you're shooting a lot of RAW files, you're filling up that buffer more quickly and suddenly everything will just slow down and when you're shooting you know action or sports and that can even be you know your kids running then you, you could miss shots because you're waiting for the camera to catch up with jpeg you don't have that as much right and of course the difference in file size means that you'll fill up your sd card more quickly and this is particularly important in burst mode where you're shooting a lot of photos Raw files have lots of advantages. We've talked about changing the shadows and the highlights. If you're shooting in strange light, it's a lot more efficient to adjust the white balance in a raw file than it is in a JPEG. So raw formats have several characteristics that you can edit independently of your other controls. So for example, there are detail controls that can be applied at the develop stage before you even get to um, using, say, a sharpening control in, in photos or, or, or in Lightroom. So that's, that's another benefit. Another thing to know about JPEGs is that most cameras, the iPhone being an exception, let you choose the size of the JPEG, obviously up to the maximum size of your sensor, but you can shoot smaller photos. And you may want to do this if you're shooting a lot of photos that you're going to put on the internet. Let's say you're doing a shoot for a client and these photos are only going on their website, and you need to process them quickly, and you don't necessarily need 24 megapixel photos, you can shoot at half the size, and it'll be a lot easier to manage these photos. And you'll be able to, you know, with some cameras, there's an iOS app that you can use that you can connect over Wi-Fi to get the photos to your iPhone and then zap them someplace. So in many cases, you may want to use the smaller file size of a JPEG just to save in terms of space and time, RAW is like that 16-year-old bottle of Lagavulin scotch. JPEG is like that cheaper Irish whiskey. <laughs> I think you're probably going to get some pushback from there. <laughs> well, I actually said that because Jeff was pointing out on Facebook that he had tried an Irish whiskey that he liked, and 
Irish whiskeys are okay, but eh, the good Scotch whiskeys, they're better. They have more dynamic range when you taste them there. There's, you know, the mouth is longer, the nose is more floral. But that is an example. A, a very good whiskey is going to have much more bouquet than a cheap blended whiskey. Oh, very nicely put. I was going to say, we, we, we started with one one epic war uh, covering raw versus JPEG and moved directly into Scotch versus Irish whiskey. So... We're just going to either validate or offend someone in this episode. I think there were great Irish whiskeys, and <laughs> I, I'm proud of my Irish heritage, but, you know, the better ones are from Scotland. Okay, if you say so. Clearly, this just means that, that we need to do some testing and, and uh, uh, figure this out. However, yes. what you said does bring up a point that I think is, is a fantastic tip. If you are changing your JPEG resolution to something uh, lower for that specific use, or even if you go out and you're shooting JPEG instead of RAW, one of the first things you should do when you go out to shoot, when you're looking at your camera, is make sure you know what mode you're in. Because, and I've done this, I'm sure Kirk has done this, the day before, you're like, hey, I'm going to shoot just these, these, these smaller JPEGs. Then you're going to go out to someplace spectacular. And then when you get home, you realize you forgot to change the setting. And so everything is just a, a medium resolution JPEG instead of a RAW. So kids, always check your settings before you go out shooting. You know, it's interesting. I never change the resolution of my files. I always shoot at the maximum resolution because why have 24 megapixels and only shoot 12? I don't really have that need to make files quickly available to someone. But sometimes I will change a film simulation. I'll change highlights and shadows or white balance or something. And that that's a typical mistake. You've changed the white balance for indoors or for some of those orange street lights, And then you go out and you're on the beach and all your colors are off. For me, it's always ISO. I will crank up my ISO to get low light photography, say the night before, and then I will be utterly flummoxed for a few minutes when I'm realizing that that my exposure is up to like, you know, one one thousandth of a second and everything is still super bright. Well, it's because I forgot to change the ISO. And then one last thing I want to say about RAW plus JPEG that may apply. With my Fuji X-T1, I can transfer images from the camera to my iPhone wirelessly. And th there are a lot of cameras that have this, this um, uh, Wi-Fi capability. However, with my model, I can only transfer JPEGs. It won't transfer RAWs. Some will do RAWs. And so there are times when I will shoot in RAW plus JPEG solely so that I can be able to transfer those images over, be able to either review them on my iPhone or if it's something that I want to share immediately. That gives me the flexibility of being able to see the images right away and act on them if I need to, and then also have the raw files and uh, be able to work with them later on. Okay, I hope you've all understood and we haven't gone into too much detail. Do drop us a comment on the show page or in the Facebook group. If you have any questions about raw, if you have any questions about JPEG, tell us if you shoot in raw, JPEG, or both. Now it's time for our snapshots. Stuff that we want to talk about this week. Jeff, what have you got? When I first got my Fuji, I did not actually have any lenses with it. It was a trade from a friend of mine, and I didn't have any native lenses for it. I had ordered one, but it hadn't arrived. So I already had a bunch of Nikon lenses from my, my D90. So I bought this Photodiox Pro Lens Mount Adapter. It allows you to mount another type of lens onto your Fuji, or they make a ton of different adapters. Now, what's nice is, in this case, like, 
I have a nice f1.8 35 millimeter lens. You know, it's still a great lens. And so this allows me to use that with my Fuji. The problem is it doesn't have all the connectors that would allow me to do autofocusing. So it's all manual focus. It's manual aperture. The information comes in as an aperture of zero. But it's actually great fun to play with because it allows me to not rely on all of the automatic modes and make shots using lenses that otherwise I would have to buy a new lens for the Fuji. Kirk, how about you today? I like reading magazines. And I like reading photo magazines because you see some of the new gear and you get some tips. And I find it really helpful to get a photo magazine every month. Sometime last year, I came across this service called Readly, which is a, and I hate to use this Netflix of, but it's a Netflix of magazines. It's got thousands of magazines, something like 3,000 magazines. And I look at them on my iPad and I can get all sorts of magazines from news to music to photography. I'm looking in the British version. They also have it in the U.S. And I get magazines like Amateur Photographer and Photography Week and Practical Photography and Digital Photographer and so many more. Some of them are brand specific. So Nikon and Canon, and they don't really interest me because I don't use those cameras. But there's about a half a dozen photo magazines that I get to read every month. It costs me eight pounds a month. I believe it's $10 in the States. That's the cost of one and a half issues of magazines. You know, if, if you subscribe to a magazine over here where they're more expensive, I think the last photo magazine that I had was about 60 pounds a year, whereas this comes to 100. So it's a really good way if you want to browse through photo magazines and you really don't care about reading them in detail and spending a lot of time. As I said, you keep up on the gear, you see some techniques, you see some nice pictures, and you move on to the next one. So it's called Readly, and you get all the photo magazines plus all sorts of other magazines as well. How is the reading experience in terms of the layout and such? You get the full layout. You can zoom in by pinching out. And some of the magazines are laid out in a certain way that there's a small icon at the bottom and you get a sort of a text-only view. Like if you're familiar with Safari's reader view, it's kind of like that. But the experience is good. Even though some of them look kind of small, if you just zoom in, you can read anything. And it's great to read these on an iPad. They don't waste paper that goes into a recycling bin. They don't get carried around by the mailman um, generating CO2. And when you're finished, you can just delete them. I am embarrassed to say that uh, I subscribe to Entertainment Weekly. Actually, I'm not embarrassed by that. But I'm embarrassed to say that that uh, I will sometimes read the iPad version because I can zoom in and I can make the text larger and not have to worry about like how dark the room might be. Maybe that's just me getting old, but uh, sometimes it's a better experience. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. The secret word is swordfish. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 10% off your membership at Charcoal Book Club. Go to charcoalbookclub.com and use the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word, and you'll get the discount automatically.